Hi everyone, you are in for a treat today. This interview is super long, but I think you'll get a lot out of it. I am just in love with Jose Quinones. He is so knowledgeable. You can just feel his love and care for the industry and the people that he serves comes through and everything that he does. I just had an awesome time talking to him. So stay tuned if you want to hear about how diversity and inclusion strengthens your program, how you walk the walk through your menu planning, how you can add interest to your menu without adding a lot of sodium, how you get the most out of your inventory. There's there's a lot here. This man is so knowledgeable and just really interesting to engage with. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. School nutrition dietitian here on a mission to show you fruits and vegetables can be super delicious. Eating healthy keeps you healthy on the inside. Keep your stomach satisfied and keep a clear mind. Now you're ready for your academics. Focus time to handle business. Breakfast, you don't want to miss it. Help your body to replenish. Clean food, clear mind. That is the vision. Tune in to the school nutrition dietitian. Hello, Dahlia. Hi, Jose. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm Thank so, you. And you? Really good. I'm so glad to finally have you on the phone. I've really been looking forward to this. Since I saw you present, I'm like, I need to know at least a fraction of what you know. But I had no clue you'd <laughs> been in school nutrition for so long. Oh, way too long. I'm telling you, way too long. <laughs> So maybe should we just jump right into it? Yes, yes. I have some notes here. Your questions are amazing, Dahlia. Amazing. Really, really good. Really nice. Okay, fantastic. I'm looking forward to this. So let's go ahead and start from the top. How did you end up in school nutrition? What was your educational background or what work experiences led you to this point? Okay, well, I have a bachelor's degree from 1981 of food science and human nutrition ah. from the uni yep from the university of florida and believe it or not i started my career immediately in 1981 as a food microbiologist and a food chemist for a few maybe five or six years then i moved into operation everything has been always in processing places, meaning a meat processing plant, uh, companies that are always making products all my life since 1981. Was that the focus of your degree program too, or that was the work that was available for food science well, no. majors? <laughs> that is a great question. Actually, the, um, the last year of your program, you can either go into be a registered dietitian or we could go into what they call the processing of the food. And for me, it was very exciting to go out and see exactly how the food is made and processed. So that's why my last year was all more about, you know, food chemistry, food engineer, food microbiologist, 
So he was all about food. What was your relationship with food and cooking like before you got into the program? Did you already know you were into science or you just knew you had an interest in culinary things? You know what? I, I always loved science. We're talking about 1981. If you ever told anybody, even your parents, that you wanted to be a chef, they will say, what are you, crazy? Right. I mean, you know, people didn't even talk about chef. The chef never had the leverage that they have in today's life. Mm. So I was always intrigued by the nutrition and all that stuff. So I said, well, I cannot be a chef, so let me go into the processing of the place. And then from there, I started to get into research and development, you know, making different products, the packaging, the processing, the cooking. And that was probably like 12, like 12, 14 years. And then you asked me, how did I end up in sales? Mm-hmm. Or should I just wait until the following question? Well, yeah, that's a good question. Well, did you participate in National School Lunch um, as a kid, like, did you even have school nutrition on your radar? You know what? I grew up in Puerto Rico until I was 18 years old, and I went to uh, to a Catholic private school, and they actually had lunch at the beginning of, you know, maybe, I, I think it's from kindergarten, maybe until sixth grade, but it was never like the public schools here in the state, but food was always in the center of our life being Hispanic, you know, being Puerto Rican. So I always, always love cooking, always love food. You know, my grandmother in the kitchen, my mother, you know, food is what got family together. Right. And how has that influenced how you relate to sales now? Well, the deal is, is a funny, is a funny story because I was always, again, you know, the science and operational side, and I worked for a company back in the early 90s, maybe 1995, I don't remember right now, and I worked for a company called International Multifoods. They, the salespeople had to do a sales presentation in Mexico, and they, obviously, they didn't have anyone that spoke Spanish, and they asked me if I could translate the, you know, the presentation. So when I translated the presentation, when I came back, you know, the president said, oh, my God, you need to be in sales. And I remember telling him, because he's like a father to me today, you know, he, I worked with him or for him for 20 years. I said, I will never be in sales. I don't like to beg people to buy stuff. Mm. Well, two weeks later, guess what? He said, you're fired from your position. You're going to get into product management. You're going to go back to school, get marketing, and you need to start going into sales. You're missing your, you know, your, your call. And that's how I started into, into the sales. And it was in the mid-90s that I worked with a lady called Jean Harris. She's still working in the industry. And at that time, it was, it was a subsidiary of IBP. I'm giving you too much information. But we started to sell cold cuts to the schools in the country. That's how I got into the school business. I was more into the retail side, the food service, national accounts, 
And suddenly it's like, oh, my God, this is amazing. You have these kids that needs to eat every single day. And obviously the choices were not as good, you know, in the, in the 90s. And immediately myself is, wait one second, they are Hispanics right. everywhere in the country. You know, they are diversity of cultures. These people need to, we need to start finding products that these kids are eating at home or they are related to. And I remember clearly developing a pork roast, a Cuban pork roast. I remember that when no one even knew what that was. That is so, so was, funny. Yeah, because I see when I was researching you and because I hadn't realized that you'd been in nutrition for so long. I can't believe you were doing anything in 1981 because I was born in 81 and I thought <laughs> you were like a lot closer to my age. But I I have noticed that recently it seems like there's a sudden awareness about inclusion. But you've been talking about diversity and inclusion for years, a lot longer than anyone else I know of has. My great Cuban, and she moved to the States back when everybody was like, you move to the States and then you never talk about where you're from. And when people ask you about your accent, you just kind of like blow it off. And I, there was no Cuban food at my elementary school. Let me just say that when I was there in the early 80s and people kept asking me if I even had legal permission to work in the United States by the time I finished high school. Like people still can understand just because your grandma's Cuban doesn't mean that she's not a legal resident and it doesn't mean that you're not a citizen. So what was it like for you having that interest in inclusion and diversity before anybody else got on board? I want to tell you this, you know, growing in, it's amazing what you're telling me. My wife is Cuban. You know, she was born and raised here, but her parents came from Cuba in the early uh, 50s. But I moved, you know, I grew up in Puerto Rico where color was never an issue for anybody. You know what I mean? We were all the same. It, we were just a, a whole family, the whole, a whole community, you know, the whole town. Yeah, people talk about being poor or being rich. Again, this is way before your time. And by the way, I just want to say something about my age. I've been lying about my age for so long. I don't know what Hispanics do. But the deal is that this year, I cannot be lying too much because all my good friends know that this is the big 6-0. So now that I'm wow. telling everybody that this is my big 6-0, people say, what? How can you be 60? I thought you were 50 or, yeah, you know. Amazing. so. Oh, that gives me a yeah. lot of hope. I want to be looking <laughs> that crisp and fresh in my 60s. Well, there you go. Thank you. So let me tell you. So I moved to Miami in 1977. In 1977, I went to the University of Miami my first year. And it was a complete culture shock, Dahlia, because being in Miami University, there was a lot, a lot of Cubans, you know, there. Yeah. But what I learned really fast, and, you know, I got really excited because I went to a school where the books were in English. So it was really good reading and translating from English to Spanish. But we never really, we didn't talk that much in English in the school. So just the speaking wasn't good, you know, right. for me. 
But I got really excited. I said, oh, my God, oh, my God, this is great. I'm going to be able to talk to the people in Spanish while I learn to speak and all that. And let me tell you, it was a huge slap in my life. Mm. These people said, you don't speak Spanish in public. You know what I mean? You need to speak English. And that's what it is. And that was 1977. And I will tell you from there, I said, I just don't understand, you know, what is going on here? You know what? So it really took me a while not to understand, but to see that that was the reality, you know, of the culture down here. And it was the same when I went to Gainesville. I mean, you're talking about Gainesville 1978, 79. You know what I mean? Where you really didn't have that many Hispanics there. Right. So one of the things that I always talk about the inclusion and, and the diversity, and at that point, my medallia, people never really talk about that word of inclusion. You know what I mean? I really didn't know the word like they say it today, but I always learn in my heart from my family, you have to accept everybody. You know, they have to be good people, but they are all different. You know what I mean? And I'm not talking about the color. I'm talking about personalities. You know what I mean? Some people are shy. Some people are intense. It is what it is. Right. You know what I mean? So I started to start talking about it, about the diversity. We need to understand the cultures. And it was all about the respect and staying true to myself. Because do you feel like sometimes when people come up against unwelcoming atmospheres, sometimes they even start to lose respect for themselves a little bit and it becomes difficult for them to be themselves. Like they feel uncomfortable or self-conscious. You know, and I want to tell you this, and I keep going back to the early uh, 80s, but I moved from Miami to San Benito, Texas. That is in the southern side of Texas. Very close to Brownsville, very close, an hour, 45 minutes from the border of Mexico. Okay, McAllen, Brownsville. You probably don't know that, you know, the geographic on that area, but I'm just trying to tell you that the reason why I moved there is because this company, International Multifoods, opened a processing plant in San Benito. 99% of the people were Mexicans. Okay, but they brought the management from Minneapolis. That's where the headquarters, they were all, you know, white American people. They didn't understand. And that's how I got there. It was extremely, extremely, extremely hard and tough because the comments that they will make constantly on a daily basis, you know, for them. And I hate to talk about those type of things, but it was the reality. It was the demeaning that the management, and I'm not talking about everybody, okay? Most of the people, it was that they were lower class. You know what I mean? Because they did not know English because they were not white American. And for me, it was so strong. Immediately, I said, we need to respect the culture, of these people. Right. These are the people that are making you look good. And when I'm talking about be true to yourself, still today, Dahlia, don't get mistaken, I do a lot of presentations, but once in a full moon, 
you will find someone in the audience or someone that works right beside you that will make a comment. And you have to be so strong to just continue what you're saying, continue walking, and not pay attention. Like I always said, don't get into a fight or don't get into an argument over something like that because I always say is the ignorance of them. Right. So you've had people make comments while you were presenting, not just feedback after. You know what? Maybe, and I will tell you, I was in a, probably maybe two years ago, someone decided to say it a little bit out loud that he couldn't understand my accent if I could repeat myself. <sighs> but the way, he, the way he said it, it was truly to make fun of me. Right. You know what I mean? And sometimes it's like when you're in the theater, you know, someone make a noise and the actor many times lose that concentration. Right. So you just have to look into it, look at the group, don't feel pity and just move on. Because I said, you know what? Bless his heart is that his ignorance or her ignorance. You know what I mean? Right. Because it's not just the accent. You know what I mean? Many people will say, He's too intense. He's too flamboyant. You know, every day anybody will say something like that. And why I've been talking about it? Because I've been blessed to travel the country, Dahlia, with my job, not just with JTM, but with the other companies. And I realize the diversity of the workforce mm -hmm. and the people, you know, and the kids. It's so and refreshing to see to hear more voices. Of course, it's great to hear from everybody, even members of the majority. Of course, you want to hear from them too, but I don't think everybody can understand how it starts to feel like you're hearing everything from like one narrative, one perspective, and you really get to to where you crave hearing something a broader story, like including more members of the human family. Like I don't always want to hear things from just one cultural group. It's refreshing to hear what other people are up to and what other people's food cultures have done to influence what we're trying to do with food and nutrition in this country. I just don't see how we can really be strong without the inclusion because everything's so globalized now. We're just going to be left behind if we don't, be more inclusive. Exactly. And you just said the word, and I was going to tell you that I've been in many places that I call them, I shouldn't say I call them, but I said they're shelter, mm -hmm. meaning those people, you know, they're born, they're raised, and they died within those city limits. You know what I mean? Maybe right. once in their lives, they will go to a big city. So they, is my duty, my job to really talk about, there is a lot out there and because these people don't talk or don't eat or don't dress like you it doesn't mean they're like you it's just their culture and I always go back to the educational side and you have a question here that I'll talk a little bit later on the sense that how do you introduce you know these new foods to these kids right and I always said Let's just start getting the, they're studying history anyway, all of them. So what better way to get, you know, the educational side of 
it's not just they're different. You know what I mean? They right. eat they eat other foods. They eat other these. They dress up different. They like other colors. You know, the weather is different. And people turn, you know, tend to get more excited about I'm learning about other people. Right. If you can involve the culinary side as well. That makes a lot of sense. Usually that's the first thing that people are willing to open up to about a different culture is the food. Um, so exactly. it's a great gateway to sharing other parts of the world with the student body. Well, you mentioned that some people have kind of felt like maybe you were too intense, but I feel like as a presenter, you're so effective and entertaining. I know my attention span is super short these days, but when you get up there, it's like everything you're saying has a purpose. It's entertaining and it's educational. And I've retained so much from your presentations, whereas someone else who just kind of gets up and presents the facts without the humor, maybe I can't, hang on to it as well. So how did you get to be such a dynamic presenter? It sounds like from the first time that old boss saw you present, they knew it was a gift you had, but is there something you did to build it up more? You know, I always, I go back to what today, again, way before your time, today they call it service leadership. You know what I mean? Right. People tend to think that the leader is someone up there, up there, very high, that doesn't touch the public. You know what I mean? That their right. feet is not on the ground. And I'm a person, Dahlia, that if you come to my home, if I go to any activity, I'm always running around, you know, servicing the people. What else do you need? How can I make sure that you're having a great time? So doing the presentation, I learned really, really fast what you are talking about. And I got the training, um, again, in the early 90s, there was something called TQM, Total Quality Management. And they trained me and other people to, do, to be the facilitator. Today they call them moderators. But it was the facilitator in English and Spanish where you were actually talking about with the employees and the management, how to be proud of what they do, you know, so the job is well done every single time. But I learned really fast, Dahlia, that the only way that people were listening to you is connecting with them. Mm -hmm. It was not about me being there. It was not about my life. It was all about them. So it was looking at their eyes, looking at them, and getting something that I knew they needed to know and build a story while I'm talking to them. I don't know if I make sense to you, but yes. it was just connecting to the group. So you are way ahead of your time because I know I've seen some old management theory and older presentation um, building workshop materials that really are focused on kind of hierarchy. Like you said, like you're the one with the information and you're way up here and the focus is absolutely not on the learner. So to have figured that out just intuitively is really impressive. Yeah, and it was also, you know, making proud, making these people be proud of what they do. Mm -hmm. And I always told them, you are the ones that are making us look good. You know what I mean? And I remember being, and you will laugh about this, but when I was in high school, I was in theater. 
But I will tell you this, after my first play, they threw me out because they said, Jose, you can never follow the script. Uh-huh. That's number one. People will die laughing, but I will make stuff up while things were going. I said, you need to go back. You need to go and be the director and be back there moving and shaking these people. But I learned really fast, and they taught me that the teachers, it's not about you. It's all about these people that are doing the play. They are the ones making you look good. And mostly making the public feel good. You see what I mean? They went there for an hour. You have to connect with them. It's all about them. And that's what I keep telling everybody. It's not about you. It's about them. And that's my rule, one of my top three rules, you know, in this, in, in sales. You know, when you go there, people don't want to buy taco meat. People want to embrace you. People want to feel good. You know, like I tell everybody, people buy from people that they like. That's the bottom line. And when you don't did connect you learn with them. That? Because you said initially you were afraid, not afraid, but not very interested in sales because you didn't like the idea of having to beg people to accept a product. When did you realize that sales and marketing can be much more than that when you believe in the product and you care about your customer? And you know, you just said the word, first of all, because of my background, it was very easy for, I shouldn't say easy, it was easier for me to talk about the product because I worked so much on the back end of it. You see what I mean? So I was able to immediately create a story. This is how we make it. You know, the cows were killed there. It's cooked at this temperature. We're, we were talking about safety, and we were talking about consist, consistency when people were, were, when those words were not even on the vocabulary of the people. So it wasn't like, do you want to buy this hamburger? So it was always, let me explain to you what we've done to bring this product to you. Mm. And it was always, how is this going to benefit you and your, you know, your kids since we're talking about the schools. So I, I was always looking for that connection, Dahlia. Right. You know, you have a director like you. You have the, you know, the, the operational side. So when people go to your school and they have no idea what equipment you have, what people you have, what's the laid out, you know, how many students, how many minutes, you know, all that stuff. But when you bring that story to them, they say, you know what, I can, I can relate to this person. Right. That's how I got into the marketing. I always love, you know, events all my life. I'm all about events, making an event. So bringing the marketing side into myself was a complete plus in my life and being honest. You know what I mean? If I didn't like a product, I will tell you, I say, you know what? I know I'm making this. I don't think this is what you want. You know what I mean? Or they will tell me, do you really like this? If I didn't like it, Dahlia, I don't care how many millions of pounds I will tell you. I just don't like it. Right. Let's move on. Let's get something so people will know when Jose tells me this is good, my reputation is there. Right, right. And has that ever been an issue with different companies or not really? That's something people have been willing to accept. You know what? It's been, I've been blessed that I only have probably three jobs in 
two of the, I mean, two of them is because the company was put up at another company, and I stayed with them. And at the end of the day, they all respected that because they knew that sales will come once people connected to you. Mm, right. So that. So it was always selling. You know, like I always said, you have to sell to the top for them to understand, you know, this is how we need to do it. And of course, sell to the bottom. You know, you have to get the people engaged because the people that are working on it on a day-to-day basis, if they don't like it, it doesn't matter how good it is, it's never going to work. Right. That's, yes, that's absolutely true because there have been some products that I'm like, I'm not sure they ever really... (laughs) got a fair play because people couldn't they didn't buy in they didn't believe in the product they kind of half-heartedly put it out there and didn't try and present it the way the manufacturer intended because they were just convinced it wasn't going to work so yeah if you don't have the buy-in from top down then it's not going to fly yeah and don't get me wrong you know i was very nervous at the beginning you know you have 30 people in a in a, in a room you have 60 so then you have 100 you have 200 so you get your butterflies in your stomach you know what i mean but right. I, I just come out i can tell you that i'm not a person that can talk in a podium you know you saw me and eat i'm like oprah right. give me a microphone let me walk around. Let me touch the people. You know, let me connect to yeah. the, you know, with the public. And it's so much more interesting. It's so much more engaging because it doesn't feel like any two presentations would ever be the same exactly because you are giving like a tailored presentation to your audience because you engage with the audience. So that feels yes. special too. So, and you know, I, Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, so what does your average day look like? So I know you're doing a lot of presentations for your company, but what else uh, is under your umbrella? You know, my my job, I mean, my title is business development manager, the national. In paper, I'm responsible, responsible meaning I should be going and visit the top 300 schools in the country. Okay, what I mean by that is the company has a regional sales manager. Like we have someone that, you know, like Mike Spencer that represents Georgia, Florida, and the Carolinas. So what I, what I do the most is to bring and to create a story of JTM, mm-hmm. their employees, their culture, and their products to your school, tailor to your school. It might be the same product. It is the same product. But when I go to you, Dahlia, I'm doing it for you, for your people. So I do a lot of training. You know, training meaning, first of all, I have to go and get you excited about it. Mm-hmm. And then I said, okay, Dahlia, just give me the opportunity to get your employees excited about what we're going to do. And then I work with you, you know, I work with the customers on the operational side and the marketing. You know, our marketing department is amazing, you know, and we have a group of chefs, but it's like opening a book and you have 500 choices. Right. So my my job is to tailor some of those choices to you so you don't have to stress out. 
So when I come to you, I'm not saying it's perfect, but I more or less have an idea. This is what I believe you will want to have in your operation. And I also are very much involved in association, you know, the ACTA, which is the American Commodity Distribution Association, which is with the USDA and USDA Foods, SNA National, you know, I'm on the board, I'm on the board with the School Nutrition Foundation. Mm -hmm. I just finished being the industry representative for the Institute of Child Nutrition on the board. And then I get very much involved on the board on certain states, you know, state affiliated. Right. And that's what I, so I'm not going to say I'm the face of JTM because everybody has their puzzle, you know, on it. But on a national level, when I travel the country, I'm bringing consistency of who we are as a company and what we have to offer. Right. You know what I mean? Because if we have a regional that have four states, he or she can be very, or they are very experts, you know, like in any other company. Right. But they're experts in what's going on there. Maybe when I go to see you, you tell me, you know, Jose, tell me a little bit more. Out of the blue, I'm having a lot of Haitians or a lot of people from South America. Can you tell me a little bit of what other schools are doing? How are they doing it? And, and people love to hear that. You know, what are they doing? Help me out. Because yeah. obviously I'm going back to the diversity. If it's happening all over. Yeah, or it's really you exciting. might tell me, yeah, or you might tell me, you know, Jose, I've never done a rice bowl here. And my kids are talking about Chipotle. Can you tell me a, a little bit more about it? What do I need? You know, this is what I have. Is this hard to do? And I can say immediately, hey, Dahlia, let me tell you, these are the schools that are making it. These are the products that we're using. It's not just all JTM, but let me tell you the operational side. Let me tell you about this and how it gets done, and let me do the presentation. And then obviously lately, on the last probably two or three years, I've been doing presentations on the motivational side of it, Talking to the managers, let's say you have 50 managers and, you know, a few times a year you bring the managers. So maybe after lunch when they're half asleep because they're bored, they'll bring me in and I start talking about, it could be about, you know, I have an amazing presentation called CEO, Cafeteria Executive Officers, and they love it because it's all about them. You know, I tell them, hey. You have your boss here, but don't get mistaken. You are the one that is here in front of these kids every single morning. You are the one that is making the whole thing, you know, successful. These kids are looking up for you. So they get pumped up. They get pride. They're excited. And what I love about it is mainly is a forum, Dahlia, for them to speak out. And you will be surprised how many times it only takes one person to stand up and say, I love my job. I love to come here at five in the morning. I love to talk to these kids. And suddenly another person tells another story. And next thing, I just sit back and let the people just spread the love to the group. Right. What do you think it causes people to burn out? Because I do see that there's a lot of job satisfaction in school nutrition. 
but then sometimes on the front lines, it seems like there's more burnout. What happens there? You know, that's a very hard question because obviously being on this business for over 30 years, I can tell you that before, I'm talking about way before your time or when you were a little kid, a cafeteria was just a cafeteria. You know what I mean? Those cafeteria managers only had to worry about, let me do the cooking and leave me alone. In today's life, it's not just the food. You know what I mean? You have a business to run. Right. You have to be, you have to be green. You have all these, um, a, uh, how you, a specifications of the product. You have all these regulations. Right. You know what I mean? So it's not like you see the kid that you know deep inside, you know, this kid really didn't eat last night. I'm going to give them two scoops. Well, that doesn't work anymore. Right. And I want to stay positive in my, you know, in my conversation with you, but you also have a very vocal uh, group of teachers that won't even step into the cafeteria. They don't even go through it to see what they have. They won't even walk into the cafeteria. You know what I mean? Right. And now you, you, now you have a generation where the parents are extremely involved in their kids. They want to know what they're eating. And I hate to say it, but many of them have never been in the cafeteria to see, listen, we have gorgeous salads offered right. to your kids that they don't tell you it's a whole different drama. You know what I mean? We have gardens. We have fruits and vegetables. And let me show you the high-quality food. And that's one of the things that I've been preaching for the last few years. Don't tell me anymore that we're working on getting good food. We have good food. Right, exactly. It's just we, we have not done a good job exposing that story. I think that and that's why, And that's why... I believe is what you're saying. They're burnt out because a lot of them, Dahlia, it's just two, three hours that they come to cook. But remember, now you're, now you're talking about people that never had to, to keep a production record. You know what I mean? Right. Or a group of people that they never had to measure a lot of these things. So it is a lot of stress. Right. Right. And, and that understanding. with the criticism you, you, sometimes, yeah. And, and, you know, now I know that, you know, certifications for safety, certification for temperature, I mean, it's a lot more complicated than it used to be. Right. So how do we, you know, how do we balance, how do we manage all that information and still make it exciting? But I'm going to tell you this, that's how... I took the initiative and I said, I, but we did with many directors, let's find a way to talk to these managers and explain to them how important it is and let's listen to them. You know what I mean? A lot of these managers now, Dahlia, are saying, you know, are saying, you know what? Don't, don't give me a one day a year training. You know, it's too much. Can we just divide it in few, you know, few times a year. You learn from listening to your employees. And, you know, many of them are saying, listen, I don't need to have four people in the kitchen at six in the morning. Let's get them involved. They are the ones that are there every single day. And I truly believe, even on your personal 
you know, your personal life. I don't know. Do you have kids? No, no kids for me. Okay. Too much work. Well, the deal is, the, you know, even with friends, Dahlia, when you get kids, your own kids, your friends, your family, engage, involve, they, they get a whole different attitude. They want to help. They want to be part of it. You see what I mean? They, yeah, that makes these sense. These people that are getting all stressed out, they don't want someone, and I keep saying someone, you know, a director or superintendent or whoever, to come down and say, this is the way you need to do it. And it needs to get done this way. You know what I mean? Right. And I have heard it from them when they said, Jose, you know, they speak out. Let me tell you this. I've been doing this for 20 years, and there is other ways that we can do these. We can put in the refrigerator. I mean, you learn so much from talking to the people that are working on it on a daily basis. And let's face it, they are the ones that the kids are looking at every single day. They are the ones dealing with the kids that are crying or the kids that are, have all these at-risk you know, problems at home. It's not just the food that they're serving. It's the personal side that they have to be engaged to those kids. That makes a lot of sense that giving people that sense of autonomy or influence over their own life and their own work experience could help with some of the stress and help with motivation to kind of hang in there because who wants to stay in a place where they feel like they have no voice or no power? Nobody really wants that. So Exactly. And they don't feel appreciated. And let me tell you, Dahlia, to stay positive, I always ask the directors, you know, friends of mine, when was the last time you went to visit the school? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. Many directors will tell you, Jose, I go to different schools every single day on my way to work or on my way out. I want to make sure I know they're there. I want to make sure they're okay. I want to make sure their family's okay. So it's that personal side. And I'm not saying for you to get involved in their personal life, but they want to feel part of the equation. They want to feel respected. They want to feel that they are important. Yeah, that's a really good point. So it sounds like JTM offers services to make life easier for school nutrition operations. So you guys help tailor, basically you help guide them, like what products you have available that could work well for their school. What are some other things uh, that you do to make things easier for them? JTM offers a lot of help on the side of the culinary side and marketing for many ideations. And that's one of the things that I've been doing lately. As a matter of fact, I have two of those going on in California when I leave tomorrow. And many of the Asians means to you, Dahlia, I am not just going to go there. To, and I keep mentioning, you know, taco meat, but let's say mac and cheese. Mm-hmm. I'm not just going to bring a mac and cheese to your school and say, Dahlia, my mac and cheese is better than the competition. I said, no. Let me let me show you what people are doing out there. A Mac, you know, bring a, a Mac bar. Let's build up, and this is what you do. And you get the, you know, you get the grain one grain from here, and then you can get the other grain from this bread, and that bread you can get it from that company or this company, and these are the proteins that you can add. So we help you on the menu of the Asian to build the whole plate. Right. People love that. Because you can bring your menu person to the meeting. You can bring your operational person to the meeting. We have people that will walk through your cafeterias 
and tell you, you know what? I think we can do something with this flow or that flow, uh-huh. or maybe we can do this or do that. You know, so the the service is all about that service. Right. You know what I mean? You say, you know, Jose, I'm using this distributor. I'm not getting the the reports. And I said, okay, let's have a meeting with the distributor. I have JTM has someone specifically to deal with the distributors. JTM has someone specifically to deal with the allocations. Hmm. So we have people that are, I, I hate to use the word experts, but that's what they do. Right. And, and then you have the connection. You know, it's not like you're dealing with 10 people, but we'll filter all that, all that knowledge and all that uh, service through one person, which it will be your regional sales manager and or me. Gotcha. So it's not just the products, it's service too. And it sounds like a lot of that information could be applied no matter what happens, like just having those ideas and being able to get that help with the kitchen setup and flow and efficiency. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, and you know, and because we actually sell to the 50, you know, to all over in the country, we can bring you ideas of what other flavors, what trends are happening there. And, you know, it's not like you're going to do it, but many times sitting with you, you said, oh, my God, what a great idea. I had no idea we can do this. Well, speaking of that, what food trends are you seeing coming into the K-12 space that started out like in commercial settings? You know, I people always ask this, and it sounds a little bit old-fashioned. You know, like it happened last year, but it's not. I could say street tacos. Hmm. Uh, rice balls, mashed potato balls, tater tot balls, and all related to what we call, which we offer that service. You know, we have some brands that we let uh, schools take. You know, not they don't have JTM, but it's build your own plate. Hmm. You know, we call it my my way cafe. And I'm not talking about you letting your kids pick and choose every single ingredient on it. But it will be fabulous if you're doing a open burrito bar. You know, you might offer burritos every every other week. But the kids said, this is not what I eat on the streets. Right. So suddenly you're saying, you know what, I want everybody to have rice, everybody to have beans. Guess what? You start with that, and at the end of the line, you say, okay, what, do you, what would you like to have? Do you want shredded pork? Do you want a chicken on it? And then at the very end, you have shredded lettuce, you have different sauces, you have condiments. They feel that they are picking and choosing what they're eating. And I call it deconstructing your plate. Mm. You know what I mean? Instead of giving everything together, let them pick one or two things. You'll be surprised. I mean, it's funny because people said, oh, my kids want to eat, you know, black beans. My kids don't eat corn. I said, okay, we're going to bet 10 bucks here. So we make a salad, you know, with black beans and corn and cilantro and a little bit of sriracha sauce. I just being too specific. But the funny thing is that I keep telling them, kids love to pile stuff in their plate. True. So let's set up the line. <laughs> Or you don't have the plate already made. Let's just leave few other things at the very end. They couldn't believe it. When we were having Asian Asian rice balls or the noodles, 
they will say, I want those, I want the broccoli out of there. I want this, I want that. And they say they will have never ate it before. But the thing is, that's what they see at the restaurant. It looks fresh. It looks good. And it gives you that sense, I am getting to pick what I want. And I say, you know what? I don't like hot food. Okay, perfect. Then at the end of the line, you don't put sriracha. Let the kid that likes sriracha to put the sriracha. Like when you're talking about Mexican food, you're talking about, okay, I want pico de gallo. And people will tell me, oh, Jose, but I want to buy this, try. And I say, girl, you're not compromising. When you're talking about pico de gallo, you're talking about fresh tomatoes, fresh cilantro, you know, fresh limes, fresh onions. That's something that we need to find the time to do it. Kids will say immediately, oh, my God, what restaurant is serving food today? It happens every single time. Now, what about people who are afraid, oh, this is going to slow down the line? Because when you go to a place like Chipotle or something, they move a, a huge lunch rush through the line super, super fast. It seems like once you know the menu, it moves quickly. But have you seen how people have had to make changes to their point of sale or maybe have an extra point of sale if they give more options on their line? Okay, we are being very specific here. But obviously, I'm going to give you an example. If you have two people running the kitchen, you know, that day the line, you probably want to have three people. Gotcha. You know, you're making an event of this. However, I'm going to answer you like I tell everybody. He said, oh, my God, let's say that you're having seven choices every day. You know what, Dahlia, that day, you cannot have seven choices. You need to have four. Gotcha. Because you need to manage that event. That event means you're going to have people coming through. One of the things that I tell everybody, these kids don't know what you're doing new that day. You need to make a play presentation like they do at the restaurants, walk out, show it to the people. This is what you're going to see out there. Send them on a tweet. I mean, I've been too specific. My point is we need to build up the excitement of what they're going to find there. And obviously when you're doing something different, we have to treat it, and I keep using the, the name of event, but you have to treat it differently. You know what I mean? Right. You cannot be offering pizza, burger, chicken nuggets, and all the different things you do every day. That day, you know what? Praise God. It's only four, but we need to be hoping that they will find something in those four that they will eat. And believe me, they do because right. they're excited about it. How do you connect with your background in marketing? Is there a big difference between how we connect with adults and how we connect with the Gen Z customers? That is a very good. <laughs> I work way too many food shows in my life, Dahlia. That's something that when I retire, I love them, but there's way too many. Right. So you might have some, you know, you have adults coming through and they said, I don't like hot food. I don't like beans. I don't like sriracha. I looked right at them and I said, this is not for you. This is for your kids. So whether you like beans or, I mean, I was just in Oregon and she was laughing because I said, this is not for you. Whether you like beans or not, it's irrelevant. Right. Let me explain to you what people are doing out there. Let's set up a testing with the kids and let them decide. Because remember, you're talking about an adult that has never if you don't like jalapenos, you're going to say, I don't serve Mexican food because I don't like jalapenos. I don't like sriracha. 
you know, right now, I will tell you a huge trend out there is Korean barbecue. Oh. And let me tell you, I can go through my whole family. If two people like Korean barbecue, is one too many. Why? They're not exposed. The right. kids are. So if you ask them in your meeting, Dali, about it, they're all going to say, Dali, are you crazy? These yeah, people don't know what that is. That. They don't like it. <laughs> and I say, guess what? When they go to the mall, that's exactly what they're looking at. Right. It sounds so good how to me. You, well, the deal is, is engaging the adults to tell them, let's give the opportunity to the kids to decide, you know, what do they like, and don't take it for granted. These kids are a lot more exposed on many of these things. It's definitely true. When it comes to food. Because with us being in, I'm in middle Georgia, and um, people had a lot of reservations about adding, we have a pork, pulled pork street taco now, and like a nice soft flatbread, mini flatbread type of thing, and we have enchiladas, and at first everybody's like, oh, the kids don't know what this is, they're not going to eat it, but, and they wanted to like call it a special, maybe like ethnic food day, I'm like, this isn't ethnic food anymore, what are you talking about, like it's food that they eat all the time, and food courts, like you said, and at Chipotle, and like these themes, these international food themes are all over the place. So even if you live in an area that's not very diverse, it doesn't mean you don't eat this way all the time and think nothing of it. Yeah, no, no. And let me tell you, and it's funny that you just mentioned the Hispanic food because I make a few points here on that question from you. In many places that I've gone, Dalia, even today, anything that is not American, they call it Hispanic. And I'm going to tell you this right now. 90% of my presentations, this is how I start. People, even if I, you know that I speak Spanish, it doesn't mean I'm Mexican. Thank you. And they all start, they all start laughing and I say nothing against the Mexican, but I want to make sure that you understand that there is a lot There's more a countries that speak Spanish right. than the Mexican. So break the ice because when I talk about black beans and rice, you know, pulled pork, plant, sweet plantains, and I will go back to the trends. People said, oh, I don't eat black beans and rice because it's too hot. I said, Caribbean people don't eat jalapenos. That's Mexican. Oh, I didn't know that. So it's truly, it's truly going back to the educational side. You know right. what I mean? We need to stop calling it Hispanic for everything else because to your point, Caribbean food and Mexican food is totally, totally different. Totally different. And there is a huge trend. Of course, I live in Miami, but I can tell you from being in the Carolinas, I mean, right now there's so many people, kids from Central America, they're moving into, into many of our states. And guess what? They do know what plantains are. Right. They do know what red beans or pinto beans or or yuca and all that, we yeah. just need to find. And many of the items, you know, like you were talking about a, a movement onto more Caribbean. Kids love your chicken. You know what I mean? And half of them don't even know that's how it's called. Well, it's so, so when funny. We, start uh, we just had a student chef competition, and one of the kids decided to do beef patties, and his teacher, who was not Caribbean, 
kept calling him empanadas. And I'm like, okay, fine. Technically, they do kind of look exactly like an empanada. But <laughs> that's not where he was headed with it. But I just thought it was nice, even though she didn't know. Um, she wasn't familiar with it from, like, Jamaican cuisine. She still was like, yeah. oh, that looks familiar enough. And she ate it. She thought it tasted good. So even if you're calling it the wrong thing, doesn't mean you wouldn't like it. I thought it was nice that she was open to it, even though she didn't recognize it. Exactly, and and you got the point right there. Many times they don't recognize what it is, and I will tell you this, Dahlia, going into the kit, I am a true believer of sampling. Take a day, you know, take one day a month and bring some of those things and give it as a sample. You will be surprised how many kids will say, oh, my God, I love this flavor. Oh, my God, I love that, you know. They are exposed to that. I mean, it's like it cannot be gravy in, in, in mashed potatoes every single day. Right. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? And, and like you're saying, you, you're doing street tacos with pork. Well, let me tell you, I can give you 10 different recipes that you can do with a pork. And See. kids are not going to say, oh, this is the same stuff they gave me two days right. ago. So you, you know, use I've been the in ingredients lots of different ways so your inventory, you know, you can keep it controlled but keep the menu interesting. Exactly. And, you know, people are talking about yellow rice. You know, I see a trend when you're asking me what trends do you see. You know, it, it sounds really fancy when you put saffron rice. Yeah. 90% of the people maybe in your, in your place or some places in Pennsylvania, they have no clue. But let me tell you this, you start talking, you explain to them what it is, makes it yellow, give the, the spice. Kids said, oh, my God, I love this. Yeah. Guys, they go to Taco Bell. You know, they know. You know, they know all this stuff. And it's not just, like I said, stop calling it Hispanic foods on right. everything Spanish. You know, Spanish foods, Mediterranean. I'm getting a lot of people that said, Jose, I need some help. I need some flavors. What are you talking about? What do I need to get? I will give you the perfect example. You know the Philly steak that we make? There's two or three companies that make the Philly steak. So people will tell me, oh, Jose, I stopped serving Philly steaks, you know, five years ago. I said, I have 11 recipes. What are you talking about? I said, I can tell you hundreds of schools that are making, you know, broccoli, beef, you know, steak, they call it broccoli steak with general sauce. I said, oh, my God. Mm. And I said, and you know what? I have many schools that one one day a month, they call it International Day. They did Greek for a day. They did gyros. Oh, they said it was that. the biggest success. Had no idea what it was. But guess what? You put this, the, um, the oregano on the beef. You put the tzatziki sauce and fresh tomatoes and fresh cucumber. Let me tell you, kids do know what that is. So it, I smile because I've seen it over and over and over when people said, I had no idea I could do all these things. Yes. So that, that was another one of my questions. How do you add flavor and fun to the menu without adding a bunch of sodium? So it sounds like fresh ingredients. And what else? You know what? I, I all talk about the condiments. And I call it the potpourri of the kitchen. You know, when you add fresh, and I keep talking about fresh because it makes a difference. Sprinkle a little bit of that fresh cilantro. You know, spike the flavor with with lime. You know, black pepper. You know, the peppers. 
the the herbs. There's many herbs that you can add blends out there that are reduced sodium, and some of them has no sodium that really boost the flavor of the food. And hot sauces, you know, you have you have the sweet Thai chili sauce. You have orange sauce. I mean, there's and I'm going into the Asian side of it. But on the Caribbean or even on the American, it doesn't need to have just salt. You know, you can do the blend of the onion powder with a little bit of black pepper and a little bit of the lime, you know, uh, dry lime. It just adds flavor to it. It really does. Yeah. Now, we deal with a lot of meat that's already been cooked. And when the meat's already cooked, it doesn't seem to absorb the flavor the same way when you, you know, try and put it on when you're re-therming it. How do you get around that? Is the sauce the key? Yes, it is all about the sauce. You know, they are, I can tell you, let's say chicken patties. That's the one that I see the most. Kids love you know, that buffalo style, you know, chicken patty. It's been in the market for 15 years. They're tired of it. But guess what? Take sriracha. Take some of the other sauces out there. You brush it, put it in the oven. It makes a huge difference on it. And what I like to call chutney, but it's not really chutney, you know, they like pico de gallo. When you start cutting some of those onions and peppers and things and you saute them in the oven, you know what I call saute, put it in the oven with a little bit of butter spray and you put it on the top, it just makes a huge difference. Yeah, okay, that's a great tip. So it sounds like the key to introducing these new flavors and exposing our kids to new things, even though we understand that maybe they're not familiar, is giving them a chance to taste it and putting it out there in a positive light, making it an event. You know, I always say, drive around your schools and see what restaurants do you have. What concepts do you have? It will give you an idea. Go to the mall. What is on that food cart? You know what I mean? Right. And then I will tell you, Dahlia, make it an event. Yeah. Take a day and you take the educational side of that country. I say country. It could be an area. And you talk about it, not just about the food. Take it a little bit about the culture so you can start talking about the diversity, what they do, what they do. I love to say, why don't you bring an example of the flags or the coins or, or what language do they talk? Because at the end of the day, they're humans just like we are, and they love that. Yeah. And, you know, because like I tell the director, you know they're studying history. American history, European history, what better way to take a day a month? And I said that until you start or just start to introduce the concepts. And that's what we help. You know, let's start combining. Maybe every other Thursday is Italian day. Hmm. And that's where you start reintroducing some of those items. And I will tell you this, Dalia, because I always laugh about it. Oh, Jose, I haven't served a meatball sandwich in ages. Well, you know why? Because you've been putting a marinero sauce that it look, is water that is red. You need to upscale that marinero sauce. These kids, when they go to Italian places, that marinero sauce is thick. It has that oregano aroma to it. Yeah. And it works. You, you know what I mean? Is to try to be as authentic as you can be. And let me tell you, the industry has done 
a fabulous job upgrading many, many of the products. I mean, there's so much you can do with breaded nuggets, and don't get me started with that, chicken nuggets and, and, and you know, breaded patties because it is hard. You know, 60% of the stuff is breading. I mean, how much can you do with it? And many times I will go to the operational side, Dahlia, we cannot heat up and cook product at 6 in the morning Thank and you. expect it to serve it at 11 o'clock in the morning. Right. So a lot of these concepts is what I call the batch cooking. Oh, my God, it's too much work. No, girl, it's not that much. Let's just leave them in the bag and let's start preparing, you know, the, the hotel pans, you know, half an hour before, an hour before. And when they start working on it, they said, oh, my God, this is really good. And let me tell you something that someone taught me. You go through the line. The first few kids, everything looks beautiful. Right. You put condiments and all that. The last five kids, it looks awful. I mean, <laughs> yeah. not even a cat. So you know what? That director asked the managers, can you go through the line right now? Okay. Will you eat this? Right. They all say no. I won't eat that. I said, exactly. That's what the kids are looking at. They're not going to eat it. Yeah. But it takes that ownership again, like I'm talking about an understanding and empowerment for them to say, I have to do a better job. I want to make sure that my last kid experience is as good as the first kid in that line. Right. I think some people are afraid of the batch cooking because they feel like they can't handle it and they have this fear of running out of food and they just, I don't know, they want to see all these piles and piles of food ready to go. Yep, and, and, you, yep. and you know what? And you know what, Dahlia? That's exactly, you're completely correct. That is the biggest challenge that I've seen in my career in the last five years. But if we want to make a change, like we've been talking for the last hour, we need to look for a way, and that's where the managers will come into play because they will say, this is too hard. You know, trust me, I've been on presentations when the lady said, do you want me to, to slice onions? That's too much work. I mean, literally. Mm. And you know what I said, girl? You cannot be that busy and that lazy. <laughs> Right. And they all die laughing, you know, because I do it in a funny way. And I said, listen, there are certain things that we need to do that extra effort. I'm not telling you to do it every day, but let's make it an event. And then suddenly somebody will stand up and I said, oh, I do it every day. And I do it the night before, before I leave. And I cover it with plastic. And I put it in a little bit of lime so it doesn't get... And next thing you know, people are getting excited. Oh, my God, yeah. it can be done. Coming up with solutions, yeah. Exactly. It can be done. But many times, and I will say 90% of the time, Dahlia, the solutions of our challenges come within the same people. You will be surprised how much they know. They work with that every single day. Right. So maybe put it you back know, on the workforce uh, workshops, how to solve some of these problems. Exactly. And let me tell you, I've been in places where I see them preparing their hamburger at 7 in the morning. 
The first kid takes a hamburger at 11.30 in the morning. Uh-huh. You know what, Dalia? I don't care how good you are. That is a sin. Yeah. That burger is not even a burger by the time it's 11 o'clock. Yeah. So that's the reason why the kid said, I don't want this. Right. The bread is soggy. Oh, my God, the bread is not good. No, the bread was really good. But it's been wrapped in that burger with the juices since 7 in the morning. Of course it's right. not good. Yeah, <laughs> that makes perfect sense. That's one of the things that I'm finding out on what we call the burger bar, deconstructing the burger. Have everything ready. Let the kid bring, you know, get the bread. Let the kid put everything on that bread when they get to their seat. It's not taking more of your time. You will be surprised. Of course, you're not offering again seven things. Right. But can you imagine the different toppings that you can introduce that day is the same burger that you've been cooking at seven in the morning, but that day it looks fresh. You know what I mean? They're they're looking at it. They pick it up. They put their stuff. They said, Oh my God, I love the smell of the burger. Yeah. So yes. Presenting a different way. And I think that people forget how important it is to people to have a choice And I don't think this is unique to Gen Z. Maybe this isn't, I don't know if baby boomers were like this as much, but people, when you're growing up, you want to have some control over your life and you really don't have that much during the school day. Someone is always telling you what to do. So the idea of finally somebody asking you what you want is appealing. So even for the kids who you know, are maybe kind of too cool to want to have that much interaction with the program. People like choice. And as much as adults like autonomy, teenagers are kind of obsessed with autonomy because they're just getting a taste of it. So yeah, I could see how giving them more choice would help with participation. Yeah. And, and, you know, many times you're not talking about 10 different things. You're probably talking about making nachos. Many you give them the choice. Do you want Yellow cheese, or do you want white cheese? Right. Oh, my God, this is great. Do you want shredded pork, or do you want taco meat? So, yes, yeah. is that sense of ownership to your point, yes. Right. And I know we I've kept you on the phone for so long, so I just have two more questions. So, yes. how much have you gotten to work with school nutrition programs in Puerto Rico? Like, do you guys cover Puerto Rico and Hawaii and Alaska as well? Yeah, let me tell you this. Um, we do business in Hawaii a lot, and we do business in Alaska. Puerto Rico is a whole different ballgame. Uh, I just met with their directors now at the ACTA conference. Puerto Rico is, um, is different in the sense most of the product that they get is what they call the brown box, oh, you know, okay. the right delivery. Right. Most of the stuff is canned. You know, canned chicken, canned tuna, canned beef. Uh, many of the schools doesn't have proper refrigeration. So it's going to take many, many years. And believe me, it's been one of my dreams to really, really do something with them. We just had a meeting, as a matter of fact, last week in New York with them. And it's going to take years for them to get to what you're saying. Yeah, you might have a small school that is cooking because, you know, they have 200 students. But usually that's not the case when it comes to Puerto Rico. So they, the participation on the commodity program is very limited. 
Gotcha. Is that just because of their location and the shipping expenses? You know, it's all of it. Uh, Hawaii's a lot harder, but everything goes to California and it goes to Hawaii. It's just experience, you know, and uh, Puerto Rico, you know, has 75 different t- small towns and it's just very hard. I mean, we just went yeah. through that huge hurricane that the one of the biggest challenge, if not the biggest challenge, that the food banks in the United States had to bring aid to Puerto Rico was getting to those towns. Right. And so, was you know, refrigeration whole... an issue in the schools before the storm? Oh, yes. Oh, oh yes. Yes. I've been in many, 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 many schools that the refrigerator is probably twice the size of your refrigeration. I mean, your refrigerator at home. Oh, they just don't have, yes. So do a lot of kids typically eat at home then? You know what? To tell you the truth, they just do a lot of products with chicken in the can and tuna and sandwiches, you know, cold sandwiches. They do a lot of rice and beans. Okay. So they do eat eat hot food, but it's basic hot food. Have, Have you seen, it's amazing how people are so resilient and people come up with solutions even when resources are limited. Have you seen any healthy, exciting dishes that people have done in K-12 in Puerto Rico that could be used here? Basically, what what would you think we would maybe want to copy? You know what? From Puerto Rico, you know, rice and beans. Beans are very healthy in our diet, you know, in Puerto Rico. And they have a lot of different type of grains, garbanzos, pinto beans, you know, red beans, uh, gandules. They're very healthy. Yeah. We haven't been exposed that much to it. You know, we have white rice with, with the beans. We have yellow rice. We have brown rice. The pork. The pork is the other white meat. And I, I came from companies where pork was the major item, so I'm biased on it when it comes to pork. But this country thinks that chicken is number one. You know what right. I mean? Pork is very healthy, and there is a lot of dishes, healthy dishes that you can do with pork. And pork is one of those. Actually, I feel that pork will take a lot more flavor from the spices. Uh That your chicken, yes. But again, you know, you live in Georgia, and Georgia is exposed to barbecue pork. I live in Florida, you know, Miami. But I can tell you many states that are not exposed to pork, so pork is a taboo. Oh, my God, no. You know, uh, we we cannot eat pork. And, you know, they, again, and I don't want to get into my soapbox, but allowed the Mexican people and the Hispanics that's what they eat every single day at home. So why are we taking that from the diet? I'm just using that as an example. Again, it's just having choices. Right. There's for a the way different... to meet the exactly. needs of every, everybody, yeah. When it comes to respecting people's religious dietary restrictions, you can definitely do that and give options to everyone else who does allow pork in their diet. Yeah, and you know what? You are completely, because I'm a true believer, and remember, it's not just by the religion of the Muslim. There are other religions that do not eat pork. Some religions don't eat, you know, some some other type of dishes. We go back to have, you know, the choices. 
And again, like I'm always uh, talking out there, you know, you, we have a lot of vegan and vegetarian people. We need to respect that. And again, how do we incorporate that choice into an everyday? And I don't want to get into my soapbox, but maybe today I feel like having a salad or maybe today I don't feel like having meat. Right. So, you know, that's why I'm so excited that I seen it. Now it's called plant-based. I, whoever came up with that idea is amazing because three years ago it wasn't called plant-based. It was vegetarian. You know what I mean? But I tell you this, to your point, I have many friends. They want to eat pork. They want to eat this. They want to eat that. Not for religion or for whatever. They just feel just like you said. Right. They just want chicken. They're just exposed <laughs> to chicken. Yeah. So it's nice to be able to build, like you said, with those people you explained at the show, like it doesn't matter if you like it or you don't like it. It's about the kids. So we don't have to impose our own food beliefs onto the kids. We just need to make the options available because we want as many of them as possible to eat with us. And I know we only really have to honor the allergies and the disability related restrictions but you want everyone to eat with you and everybody to be comfortable at school so you try and accommodate everybody <laughs> yes and you know i i want to close going back to the inclusion and and the diversity you know obviously because you just mentioned about the generate you know the new generation coming in those are the people taking over our kitchens in the schools if we don't really Make them believe that we respect and include include those, you, you know, that group, everybody. Right. We're going to have a big problem out there because the older generation is retiring. So we need to embrace that. And to your point, you just said something that I wanted to close on is if you're talking about inclusion and you're talking about diversity, then you need to prove it when you're talking about it, when you're showing your menu and you're talking you cannot be serving chicken nuggets every other day when that when that group of kids, Dahlia, don't eat chicken right. nuggets at home and they have never seen a chicken nugget. That's you know what I mean? But when you, Exactly. But when you have the kids, when they see, oh, my God, they're trying, like you just said, with the Jamaican patty, the empanadas. They are, you know, the South American people. That's what they eat all the time. Right. What's wrong with us trying to find, hey, once a month, you're going to have something for you. So you're showing and proving that you truly are embracing the diversity of your students. Not by giving pizza, burgers, and chicken nuggets. Thank you so much. That makes so oh, much Oh, you're sense. welcome. I really enjoy talking to you. I'm just, I'm taking it all in. I just really appreciate you making the time to talk to all of us. Well, I really, really, I really enjoy it. I know we almost talked, oh, my God, almost an hour (laughs) and a half. Amazing. Thanks, everyone, for joining us for another episode of School Nutrition Dietitian. I hope you got a lot of takeaways from that. Uh, I hate to recap again since we're already over the hour and a half mark. I feel like I recapped as we were going. There are a lot of takeaways there. If you would like to see the highlights 
from today's interview, just visit schoolnutritiondietitian.com. I know while you're driving and listening to this podcast, you're not taking notes or you shouldn't be anyway. And that's just the quick tool so that instead of you having to re-listen to the whole episode, you can just get your memory jogged right there in the show notes. So you just sign up for the email list and I will get that right dietitian here on a mission to show you fruits and vegetables can be super delicious eating healthy keeps you healthy on the inside keep your stomach satisfied and keep a clear mind now you're ready for your academics focus time to handle business breakfast you don't want to miss it help your body to replenish clean food clear mind that is the vision tune in to the school nutrition dietitian Woo.